Well, hello everybody. We're out and about in Ireland again. I'm back from Australia. I was there this morning, you know. Very exciting in Australia. It's very hot. It's 30 degrees and I really wanted to stay because it's cold, wet and windy over here in the UK. So Hugh, are you there? Yes, Aris, thank you. I'm here. And what's your weather like? Well, it's very cold. The sun is shining, but it's very cold. Um, so that's basically our situation. The sun's shining, it's lovely and glorious, but very, very cold. Perhaps maybe even there's snow on the way, who knows? Well, I expect it'll be a bit warmer once the snow comes. That's the fact. It always is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we look forward to that. Anything that brings the temperatures up a bit will be happy. Well, you, you try keeping me indoors if it snows. I want to go out there and play snowballs. <laughs> well, don't be throwing at me in Ireland because you'll never reach it. <laughs> I was sort of rather thinking of heading them in the way of uh, Parliament, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, that would down that road. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought they could join in. Yeah, they can join in if they want. Yeah, they're very welcome. Come one, come all. That's Everybody's welcome. That's it. And have you, what have you got for us today? Okay, today we've been going through historically a lot of the end time subjects concerning the coming of the Lord, concerning Israel, their judgment and God's anger against them. And we've come to, I would say, a very important chapter in the epistle of Paul to the Romans, chapter 11, where we get a bit of an insight and revelation by God through the spirit in the scriptures that what God is going to do and what he is doing in the nation of Israel, and especially as we know it constituted today, right there in the Middle East, uh, where it is called the Holy Land. So that's what we look at today, uh, Romans chapter 11. So when you're ready, I'll start. Yeah, please go ahead. Okay, so we just trust God to bless us and to lead us on. Now, the uh, nine, chapter 9 was um, a a, an attempt to help us to understand that the sovereignty of God in all his dealings with humanity and in all in his dealings with Israel concerning the natural Israel and the uh, spiritual Israel that was being born again, brought into being by his son. I also note that there never was really much talk at all about the kingdom of God until Jesus, Yeshua, arrived and this commenced his ministry. And he said the kingdom of God was at hand. So chapter 10 shows us something about Israel's rejection of God's gospel and God's word. And that's exactly what happened. They, after all the transgression and after all their offenses, just to give you a bit of background prior to this subject today, uh, to all their offenses and to all their transgressions, to all their idolatry, all God's attempt to correct them. They rejected and failed in every way and turned their back upon the Lord until eventually he sent his son, just like that uh, parable that Jesus told about God 
about the man sending his son after they had uh, killed the prophets. He sent his son. And of course, we know what they did to him. He also, they also killed him. But in so doing, they fulfilled a bigger and, and greater purpose in God to bring into being the beginning of a new kingdom. And that was the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And he is the king over all other kingdoms. So that's the situation. Uh, Israel has rejected God and God in turn now has rejected that agreement and uh, Israel generally as a nation on an AD 70 after 40 years of the gospel uh, being preached after Jesus ascension and uh, also being opposed by the Jewish nation the Roman armies came the prince the Roman prince on his armies came that principality and power over Rome was stirred up then these armies through God's intervention came and wiped out the temple the, the the curtain was torn when Jesus breathed his last and the and the temple was destroyed as Jesus said and there was a great tribulation fell upon that nation and they were scattered into the four corners of the earth which means in amongst the Gentiles and that went on for over a thousand years. And the land lay desolate, a terrible abomination in the eyes of God, that that place that God had chosen had become a, a great desolation. Now we take up here something about um, a situation the chapter 10 had finished in, in uh, Romans uh, by God speaking and uh, the Lord being quoted in Isaiah in verse 20 but isaiah is very bold and says so so paul's writing under the inspiration of the holy spirit and he's quoting from the book of isaiah but isaiah is very bold in verse 20 of chapter 10 but isaiah is very bold and says i was found by those who did not seek me so in other words there has been always a people of the gentiles that had never sought the Lord I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me there was a people who were not seeking after God were not asking after God but to Israel he says all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people so they wouldn't seek after God they wouldn't ask after him and it was to a people that actually didn't know God, who didn't seek after God also. That was the Gentiles that God opened up the message of the gospel. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So just in the light, the fact that God had raised Israel to the ground, destroyed the temple, destroyed the holy place, tore up the veil, tore up the agreement and left Israel scattered amongst the nations. So now the question is asked here in chapter 11, verse one. And it's a very interesting question. It says, I say then, so in other words, in light of all God's rejection, his judgment, and that was the judgment in the day of the Lord spoken in Joel, where it says they shall run on the city 
and on the walls. That's the Roman armies destroying Israel. That's God speaking about destroying Israel. He said, I say then, has God cast away his people? Good question. Good question. His people being the people of Israel. Has God cast them away? Has God done away with them completely? That's the question. In light of what has happened, in light of their history, from their deliverance in Egypt when they, they brought the idols with them out of Egypt, they held on to the idolatry that they worshipped in Egypt. They held on to the idols in the, in the wilderness. They gave themselves to the idols in the, in the promised land from the nations. God has judged them and they've been scattered amongst the nations. Now the question is, has God cast away his people? Well, this apostle who is a man says, certainly not. He sees something and he knows something from God in heaven. God has told him something by the spirit and you and I can get the understanding also. Certainly not. So God says, although I will destroy the nation, but not completely, I will keep alive a little remnant of survivors and I will start to deal with them and build them up. That's God's purpose, but that will come later. But here we're seeing something, certainly not. God hasn't written them absolutely 100% off. For I also, so Paul is, is looking at himself and he wants the writers to understand that he also is an, I'm an Israelite. He sees himself as one of those people of Israel and thank God that he has been touched by God's grace. He has been given salvation, salvation of the Lord, salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus. But he says that he's in the flesh an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. He traces his, his beginnings right back to the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He's in that tribe which was almost wiped out by themselves because of sin within the nation. God has not cast away because he can say with confidence, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So God has a purpose. God has a purpose in keeping alive the nation of Israel, even through the generations when they had their little synagogues and they were thinking, and they came in the 1800s next year in Jerusalem, the spirit of Zionism began to stir up in their hearts. But God had a purpose here. He was not going to destroy them completely, but keep a remnant. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Elijah was a prophet in Israel, serving God. Elijah was a prophet that was sent by God in spirit with Moses in spirit to talk to Jesus about his exodus from this planet, from this world back to heaven. So Elijah was noted and Elijah was a man that stood up for the truth against gross idolatry. And you've heard of Jezebel and Ahab. Those were the people that were running 
and ruling the country of Israel at that time. How he pleads with God. Now Elijah came under pressure. How he pleads with God. Now he's pleading with God against Israel. He's looking against Israel because they're so against God and they're so against himself. He's sort of despairing. Now, brother and sister in Jesus, I say, do not despair. There's always hope because God's alive and well. And he's crying out to God in verse 3. And he says, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. This was the action of the nation of Israel as a whole. And I alone, or the northern nation anyway, but the southern nation of Judah was just as bad, if not worse. Read Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and you'll read it for yourself. And I alone am left. Elijah felt almost that he was the only person alone who was standing for Jehovah and for the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel. And he says, and they seek my life. He had reached a very low place because no matter how hard he, he worked for God, no matter what he did for God, no matter what demonstration of God's power there was, and there was a great demonstration on that mountain with all the false prophets and priests, but yet he had to run for his life. But what? Sometimes you think somehow when God shows his presence and his glory that people will just say, whoopee, hallelujah, praise the Lord, it's all wonderful. But what happens if the reaction is the opposite? And that's what the devil does. He stirs up the opposite reaction. <clears throat> but what does the divine response? You say, thank God for a response. If I speak to somebody like Sister Iris and I say, Hello, Iris. Good morning, Iris. How are you, Iris, today? If I don't hear a word, it's sort of like, what's going on? Because you like to have a response. Well, Elijah's praying to God and he's pleading for his life and he's pleading against this nation. But it says, but what does the divine response say to him? So he got not only a response, but he got a divine response. And that was the response from Almighty God. Brother and sister, let me comfort you to understand that if you pray, God's listening. If you plead, God's listening. If you're seeking God, God's listening. Jesus said, ask, seek, and it shall be given unto you. Keep knocking the door. You know, I just have had uh, to come to ask some people to pray. For someone I know it's close to me and uh, one of the pastors that I know I asked him to pray and he says he writes back and he said uh, I'll pray in my private prayers I says what I wrote back to him and I says don't worry about your private prayers get your public prayers going the people of God and kick heaven's door in that's what we need to do yeah. And Jesus says, do it, do it. Like that man that wouldn't stop asking his friend for bread in the middle of the night. But because of his persistence, Jesus said, God gets up and does something. So we must not give up. We must keep praying. But here he gets a, 
um, a divine response. Isn't that wonderful, Aris? Absolutely. A divine response. God gives us a divine response. Not only do we get a response, but we get a divine response. And God said to him, you see, God looks at a bigger picture. Don't think you know it all. You don't know it all. There's only one who knows it all. And that's the God that we worship. And God looked at the bigger picture and he said, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Baal was a, a pagan god who was nothing but an idol. There was no life in Baal. He couldn't speak. He couldn't think. He could do nothing. He couldn't move. People carried him about in a, a cart, bowed down and worshipped him. But here God says there's 7,000 men. He knew them by name and he knew the number of them. 7,000. And I say today that God knows in this world those people that are true to him. Even so then, says the apostle here, even so then at this present time, as regards Israel is concerned, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God has grace. He's a God of all grace. And he's a God of all mercy. And he's a God that because of Israel has been set aside, that he has opened the door of grace and mercy of, of salvation through the, through the knowledge of his son, the Lord Jesus. And it's by that same grace that Israel as a nation, both secularly and spiritually, have been and are being preserved and saved. And there's a mixture going on in the secular and in the spiritual. But how it's all going to end, God only knows that there could be a mighty outpouring of God's spirit upon the whole nation and all Israel could be saved. Only God knows those details. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. You see, Israel, Israel thought it was about works. They could work their way into God's favor. No, otherwise grace is no longer grace. It's not about works. It's about grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. You can't merit God's favor because we've received God's favor in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So there's a difference between work and between grace. Now he says what God is doing, God has entered in to a period, not of works, like where he said to Israel of old, you do this and I'll do this and you do that and I'll do that and we'll have a nice agreement together. It didn't work because these people could not keep to the agreement but now God has entered into a new phase and that's the phase of grace. And that's been a procured for us, purchased for us by the Lord Jesus himself. It's a great mystery, but God has opened a door of grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise work is no longer work. What then? That's another question. This apostle seems to ask a lot of questions. What then? But God has all the answers. Don't give up, brothers and sisters. If you have a question for God, ask him. He's got the answer. 
whether he tells you the answer is another thing or not, but he's got the answer. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. So Israel as a nation did not achieve what it wanted to seek, but the elect have obtained it and the rest were blinded. So God says there is a, a, an element, an elect of God that has been preserved and the rest were blinded. The nation as a whole went into a state of blindness, just as, just as it is written. God, verse 8, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, you see, it must have been difficult for Paul as a, a man that had been saved, called by Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Jews, but I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to make you a messenger, a special messenger, an apostle to the Gentiles. And it must have been difficult for Paul in his ministry after speaking and preaching in the synagogues about Jesus. And, and sometimes there's those people that believed, the Jews believed, but it was more the Greeks started to listen and, and believe the gospel and receive the gospel. So in that environment, it must have been very difficult to be able to keep on serving God in that environment. And uh, they seem to have no ears to hear, no eyes to see, and God's moving on, moving on among the Gentiles. And that's what happened in the record in the Acts of the Apostles. The gospel started with the Jewish nation in the upper room with the Jewish people and many Jews. They were the first fruits that God took from among the Jewish nation. And then it started to move into the Gentiles. That's the history that we have in the 28 um, chapters of the Acts. And the closing statement is that God is moving on to the Gentile nations. And that's what has happened over this past 2000 years. But in this instance, this prophetic insight in this word tells us what God is doing to that present nation that was alive when Paul was preaching. And David, that's King David, the prophetic prophet of the Old Testament. He says there, let their table become a snare and a trap. You see, God now had set his face against Israel, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they may they do not see and bow their back always. That's a terrible situation, a terrible indictment. Whenever any nation or nations get to a point that God says that's enough, that's enough now, then comes judgment. You see, the nations of the world, this earth that we're in now, they need to know that God's in control and his administration, his word and his commandments are still there. Yes, there is grace and salvation in Jesus, but God has set a standard of righteousness for between men and God, secularly in the world, and also between men and their neighbor, women and men together in a neighborly fashion. Those are God's standards. And when people stray from those standards, they travel down the wrong road and God will eventually bring discipline and correction. So verse 11 says, just to move on, I'm not sure how we're doing the time, but verse 11 says, 
I know my timekeeper will keep me right there, Aris. She's my timekeeper. I'm a director there, so she's all right. Right. So I say then, in light of what he's just said, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, has Israel stumbled before God, transgressed before God, sinned before God, that they should fall and they should never rise again? That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. To provoke? No, certainly not, he says, certainly not. But through their fall, now this is interesting, and we need to take note exactly, because this tells us the dynamics that has been working in history through the centuries, and in particular in these days in which we have moved into. These are the last and moving ending days of time. Certainly not, he says. They're not to be fallen away completely, certainly not, but through their fall. But because they've been put out of the picture, God has set them aside. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have been enlightened and received the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. And particularly from the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, and now we're in the 2000. Yeah. And the world has been wakened up. The world has been changed from 1500s on. The world has been changed and developed and God has released knowledge and technology and everything. And God has brought the nations to where they are today. And the gospel has been published throughout the earth. Verse 12, very important. Now if their fall is riches for the world, and that's exactly how the Gentiles have got the benefit of God's input into their lives. It's been through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They may not want to acknowledge that truth, but that is a fact. It is through the acknowledgement of God's son that God sent his blessing into the world. That's the world of the Gentiles and their failure. So in other words, their fall and their failure, it brings the riches for the world and riches for the Gentiles. That's the situation. Yeah. And that's exactly where we are today. If you look at the nations of the world that have embraced the gospel, they may be falling away now. They may be turning their back on God. But how they, what, how they rose from the very muck of the ground into, into a wonderful place. United Kingdom, nations in Europe, America, Australia, New Zealand, different nations that have embraced the gospel, have known the fruit and the blessing of God. I know the world is, is turning away now from God, but then we're coming to a termination point of history in this world when God's about to send back his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a failure of the Jews. It has created the riches of the Gentiles. Now, here's an interesting statement. How much more their fullness? What happens? What's it going to be like when the fullness of the remnant and the nation of Israel is coming to the fullness of God's blessing and God's purpose and God's promise in this earth? 
That's an amazing situation. And I want to say right in the middle of that fullness, there will be the Lord Jesus ruling from Jerusalem over the nations of the earth. How much more their fullness. That's the fullness that we're all waiting on looking to see. For I speak to you Gentiles, Paul speaking, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. So Paul has got this revelation from God about the gospel, about the working in the life of Israel, about the, about the preservation of the remnant, of the bringing forth of the remnant and the building up of the remnant and the fullness that's coming of the remnant. And I want to say today that that nation of Israel said it before on this radio, that that nation of Israel as it is today is going from strength to strength because God's hand is upon that nation. Not for their sakes, no. It's not for their sakes, but it's for God's own name's sake. God is going to show to the nations of this world that there is a God in heaven and he rules on this earth and he's going to show it because of this little nation of Israel. And God's going to work the gospel in the hearts of the Jewish people. And God's going to work in the hearts of the Gentiles, those that have come to faith in Jesus. If he says in verse 14, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Dear help Paul, he's got a burden in his heart for this Jewish nation, but God has written them off except the remnant of election that he's going to save. So he has this burden in his heart. He has this concern and this care because he's a Jew. For if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world. See, the world has got a message of reconciliation from God through the gospel of his son. That's how important this message is. That's how important the message of the gospel is that God has sent his son into the world to reconcile the world unto himself. And that's how serious it is when it has been rejected by nations and especially by individuals. God keeps a record and God knows what's going on in every heart. Now, if that's the case, that the, that the world has been reconciled because of Yeshua being sent here and dying here, living for us in heaven, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So in other words, he's saying, what happens when the time comes that God now is no longer moving away from him, but is now accepting this nation of Israel, but life from the dead. And that's on God's agenda. He has brought them in under a point of acceptance. God's favor is now on the nation of Israel. You may say to me today, how can that be? Sure, there's a lot of sinners in Israel, that's right. But hasn't there been a lot of sinners in the Gentiles? God has shown salvation and mercy and grace in the Gentiles. And he's going to show grace and mercy and acceptance to the, to the Jewish nation, which is coming back into their place, into the land, that God lifted up his hand and swore to Abraham, 
unto Isaac and to Jacob, that this is the land that I have chosen for you and your descendants to, to inhabit, and it's reserved for the coming of Messiah Jesus. Hallelujah. I could get excited here and be beside myself, but I have to control myself because I'm on the radio and Sister Iris is watching me, keeping an eye on me. So I have to watch. But life from the dead, verse 16, for the first fruit is holy and the lump is also holy. The first fruit of the Jewish nation was holy and the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So what he's saying is that God Almighty chose that nation from the beginning and he made them a holy people, a holy people. I know they blew it, but because that they blew it doesn't mean to say that God's design, God's choice has passed. No, God still has that choice over them and God is still looking at them and God is going to bring that holiness to the fore through the working of the gospel and through the presence and the coming of the Lord Jesus. I think time is up. Is that right, Harris? Five minutes. Five minutes just to, to wind up here. Now, we've got through, there's 36 verses in this chapter, and we've got through 16. So we're almost halfway there. So if God spares us, we can come back in the next session and carry on here. Is that all right, Aris? Yeah, that's fine. For if the first root is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So he's saying that in God's design and eternal desire, God has looked at creating a holy people for himself. Those on the earth, Israel on the earth, is absolutely a failure. The Gentiles in themselves are a failure. But yet God, through his son, has brought righteousness and holiness on them and brings that into being to everyone that puts their faith in Jesus. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them. So he's saying that Israel, as the, as the real olive branch, been broken off, and wild olive tree branches were grafted in, that's the Gentiles, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That tells me that in this root and fatness of the divine and eternal will of God, in this overall, overall strategy, this overall plan, this overall situation of the kingdom of God, God could see that he was going to achieve something in his son, which no other person could ever achieve. And that's exactly what has happened. And to everyone that wants to put their life on their times and their heart and through faith in the person of the Lord Jesus, they become a partaker of the root and the fatness of all of God's blessings, of all of God's grace, of all of God's mercy, of all of God's promises. Everything that is in God has become ours as his children. That's some something to finish off, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's a wonderful that's a wonderful truth that God has made a way possible 
that both Gentiles and Jews should come again to enjoy the uh, partaker of the root and the fatness of his olive tree, the olive tree that he has planted. So may God help us. I hope and trust and pray this has been of some help and encouragement to those that listen, to those that watch the video. And we pray God will bless you and bless this radio station and pray for the radio station and also support it financially and whatever resources you have, just support it as an act of God's service uh, to him. And to God be all the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Wow. It's another good session. My goodness. I've got my head stuck in here and I've just got my eyes on the word. I've, I've underlined so much again. Look at that. <laughs> all the orange. <laughs> well done, Hugh. It's good to have you on board. We just we've got to say bye-bye to everybody, but let's say bye-bye to them and then we can talk for a little while afterwards <laughs> to cut the airtime. We won't fit everybody in. All right, bye-bye everybody out there and we will be back and we'll see you again soon. Bye now.